Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Mood with Lauren Elizabeth. I'm Lauren Elizabeth. And today for our current mood combo, I'm going to be joined by Doug Boast. Doug is an award-winning personal trainer, author, speaker, and business owner. And those credentials and accolades are a result of his own transformation. He's a former felon and drug addict sentenced to years in jail due to his poor decisions. But now he's a trainer, a consultant, works on personal development. He has these great books called From Felony to Fitness to Free, Everybody Deserves a Second Chance, Are You Going to Make the Most of Yours, and more. He also has a podcast called The Adversity Advantage, and just honestly, such an amazing story. He values faith, family, and fitness, and is truly so inspirational. I was so excited to talk to Doug. We had such an in-depth conversation about his journey, and it was just such a testament to like, God putting people in your life, making the most of where you are and really changing your mindset. And we also talk about kind of after his 90 day sentence, how he kept going from there. You guys are going to absolutely love this current mood combo. But first, let's jump into best mood and worst mood of the week. Okay, guys, my best mood of the week is that I'm finally just feeling settled, like genuinely feeling good within myself and my environment. And For those of you that have similar anxiety that I do and just kind of, I don't know, you know that feeling where you're like, oh, I could crawl out of my own skin because like I just don't know where I am and what I'm doing and I just feel uncomfy. I really kind of leaned into where I was and just started feeling more comfortable and making the most of it. I think I was also just really scared to feel settled. I kind of talk about it or will talk about it in my worst mood this week. I just like didn't want to lean in right away because I was so used to being on the go and going back and forth and having to plan that I wasn't used to not having to get back on an airplane and kind of, I don't know, clean up a mess right in front of me because I've been doing that for so like many months now. And so I just decided to actually lean in and focus on myself. Like I kind of talked to you guys about putting myself first last week, and I really decided to allow myself to feel settled and to feel okay. And it's because I wanted to, and it's scary to be able to do that because you always want to be like prepared for something to go wrong or prepared to have to clean up the shit storm. And I was just like, okay, Lauren, let's take a deep breath and let's just do what you want to do and feel okay. Like you're not going anywhere. You don't have anything to clean up. Like you get to actually do the things that you've wanted to do. But when you are doing all the things that you don't want to do for so long, it's crazy to be like, wait, I can actually like settle in and I can actually be okay. So I just genuinely feel finally settled and feel a little sense of peace. And I think that 
my worst mood has to kind of really come into play here because it's scary. And I realized that I have to be okay with being okay. It's something I really struggle with. I think if you're someone that deals with waves of depression and just anxiety, it's really scary to be happy. It's really scary to feel okay. And so that's why it's kind of this best worst mood of, I really do feel settled. I really do feel okay. I really do feel moments of peace and like happiness and it's scary. And there's like always this little voice inside my head being like, be careful. Are you sure? Oh, you're happy. Something's going to get fucked up. I literally said that on the phone to my best friends yesterday. They called, they were checking in. They were like, how are you doing? What's going on? And I told them, I was like, I'm actually really good. And the first thing that popped into my mind after I said that is, oh my God, don't say that loud. You might jinx it. So my worst mood is kind of that little anxiety creature disguising himself as protection in the back of my head being like, Oh, be careful. Don't get too settled. Something's going to go wrong. Create a problem so you can fix it. And I realized, like I said, I have to be okay with being okay. And it's, you know, clearly an issue inside myself because as much as, you know, we want to blame other people, our environment, our circumstance, we're always looking to blame it on something else. And if everything's okay and you still have this little like anxiety creature in your head, you realize like, oh shit, it's a me problem. It's not like a surrounding problem. And of course, you know, it takes being okay to realize that because it's so easy to distract yourself with other things going on when you're in the middle of a shit storm and you don't really have to like do the inner work. And I just have to remind myself that it's okay to be okay because my worst mood has been, you know, just a little scared of being okay. And that's no way to live life. Things are always going to go wrong at some point. So we might as well enjoy the times that things feel good instead of self-sabotaging and ruining them and creating a problem where there isn't a problem. So I'm really trying to lean into my best mood this week and not let my worst mood kind of get in the way of that because, your anxiety can put on masks and it can disguise itself as trying to help you or, you know, being productive. And it's just not, it's still kind of anxiety and fear and you just can't let it rule your life like that. So worst mood, I see you and I'm on to you, you know, do you want to make 2022 your best year yet? I'm really excited because fight camp brings the best workouts in the world into your home and makes it fun. Learn to box and kickbox from home with access to world-class programming, elite trainers, premium equipment, and smart technology that turns your workout into an interactive experience. I absolutely love Fight Camp because I love boxing. I feel like people don't really know that about me, and maybe they don't expect it from me, but you guys, lights out, Lauren. Yeah, it's a real thing. Like I actually am really good at boxing, and I love it. So you can find thousands of classes with new workouts added each week. You'll always find something new. Use filters to explore different workout styles, links, trainers, difficulty levels, and more. You'll just like never get bored. They have quick workouts and they maximize efficiency with high intensity interval training. You can get like a killer workout in as little as 20 minutes. And Fight Camp provides real-time data during your workout so you can track your progress and work towards guided goals and see exactly how you're improving over time, which is something that I learned from our current mood combo, which is actually really important. And I know it sounds kind of like a basic statement, but you'll see once you listen. I also love it because it's brain fitness. Boxing requires you to focus. Precise combinations push you to think about every punch you throw. It's the ultimate way to clear your mind and forget about working out and and anything else going on in your life. 
And don't worry, Fight Camp provides all the gear you need to start boxing from home, including a free standing punching bag, boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and smart punch trackers. And it takes up less space than you think. If you have enough room to do a push-up, you have enough room for Fight Camp. Now is the best time to get your Fight Camp. Take advantage of their holiday deal going on now. If you purchase this month, you'll get an additional pair of gloves for free. Just go to joinfightcamp.com slash mood to get an additional pair of gloves for free. Go to joinfightcamp.com slash mood, joinfightcamp.com slash mood. For my mood boosters this week, I really felt like I was on top of my shit, like minus obviously not understanding what Pacific Standard Time means, Um, you know, but I didn't let it get to me because I kept boosting my mood. And if you're like, Lauren, what do you mean you don't know what Pacific Standard Time means? You lived in California for a decade. You literally went to Chicago for six months. Sally, I'm aware of my travel schedule. Thank you so much. I just, it's a math thing. It's not a California thing. Um, And I have overlapped pretty much everything I've had to do in the past 48 hours. It's just like a little like personality quirk, you know, but I haven't let it stop me. I've kept going. I've kept persevering. She's nothing if not a girl boss. Just kidding. That's we, we don't like that word anymore. So my first mood booster is that I actually did my nighttime skincare routine. And it sounds dumb, but after being sick and like constantly running around, having things overlapping just like that, I didn't really care. But like I said, I was feeling settled. So I looked in the mirror last night and I was like, Lauren, sister, girly girl, why are you not washing your face? You have no excuse now. And my skin, like obviously when I'm stressed, I start breaking out. So I started my skincare routine back up last night and it was just that little moment of like, hey, I'm proud of you. You did that. Like you're not lazy. You didn't just get in bed. You took care of yourself and you're going to thank yourself later because there's nothing like the opposite of a mood booster of breaking out. So taking care of your skin and just taking that moment to yourself and it's like a little win. It might sound silly, but it truly is a mood booster. Another mood booster was I made some bomb ass dinners. You guys know I love cooking because it's a mindful activity. It's something that, you know, you can't be on your phone. You're using your hands. You're being mindful while doing it. And it's just something that I've really, really leaned into over the past like six months. We actually probably less than that. And I was able to do it again. And that's really a sign of me feeling settled because sometimes I'm just like so frazzled that I think, oh, why would I even cook? I should just order. Everything's temporary. I'm on the move. And so it's really kind of getting out of that mindset and being like, take a moment. You're here. Be present where you are. Cook yourself a nutritious and delicious meal. And I got to play around with some different recipes. I made up a ton of recipes this week. And it also was that little like mood boosting of feeling proud of myself. I was like, damn, I made a bomb ass like new dish. I should put a blog post on this. So it was just like all around a mood booster. And I absolutely loved it. And hey, if you're not like willing to make your own recipes or you know, cook a bomb meal. Cooking is still something that's fun. Like I said, get you out of your head, off of your phone. So I definitely think it's a certified mood booster now. My next mood booster was doing something that I actually am really scared of and avoid. And (laughs) it's pretty lame, but I did a bunch of outreach to people AKA like networking. And I am not a huge networker because I have like imposter syndrome in a sense of I'm like, why would anyone want to come on my podcast? Why would anyone want to collaborate with me? Why, why, why I'm the worst? And I think with like a new year and this like new mindset and trying new things and putting myself out there, I'm just kind of like feeling the fear and doing it anyway and telling the fear to kind of, for lack of a better term, fuck off. 
And it's like, if you get a no, or if someone doesn't want to do something, you at least tried. And you also never know where it's going to take you. You never know who someone else is going to introduce you to. So no matter what field you're in, work-wise, socially wise. I, you know, that's something I really want to work on being in a new city, being social with new people, putting myself out there. So I kind of actually have done a little bit of mix of both. I've really reached out to people, obviously my friends and family, but like I said last week, but new people like, Hey, I'm in San Diego. Do you want to hang out? Do you want to get, get dinner? Do you want to get coffee? Then also, Hey, do you want to come on my podcast? This is what it's all about. Just really like reaching out to people, growing my community, growing my network, because you guys know that connection with people is such a mood booster. And you know, my job is weird. I work from home. I'm sure a lot of you guys are still working from home in the current climate and just outreach to people is such a mood booster, whether it goes your way or not, because a, I feel like the theme of this week's boosters is proud of yourself. So a, you're proud of yourself for feeling the fear and doing it anyway, despite your imposter syndrome. And hey, if that's not you, I'm just speaking for myself. And B, like you never know where it's going to take you. You might, you know, meet someone really cool. They might introduce you to someone really cool. And I just am kind of like proud of myself for doing that. And it really boosted my mood because of course I got some great responses and it wasn't as scary as I thought. And it's just that human connection, making moves. It's all around a mood booster. And I must say my journal that we talked about last week, kind of creating that template and everything, executing that was such a mood booster. I really loved putting together my first page of my journal for the new year. That's kind of all we have set in stone right now. We talked about not knowing what the rest of the journal might totally look like. So we're going to get there together, but at least we have the template. I actually put it on Instagram at mood with Lauren Elizabeth. So you guys could fill it out on your phone. You guys could get inspo. I showed you what I wrote down and I just like really loved how simple it was. I loved the act of doing it and it really made me feel grounded and I feel really good about it right now. We can always course correct. We can always change it later. It's not etched in stone, but it's such a mood booster. Just taking that small piece of time to write down some new year goals slash intentions. And I really, really loved it. So I highly recommend you guys go check out the template and do it yourself too, or put your own spin on it and just make sure to tag me on Instagram at mood with Lauren Elizabeth at Lauren Elizabeth. Okay, you guys. So I'm not going to lie. I've been dealing with some hair problems. I think it's from, you know, going so blonde. If you can tell my hair is getting darker and I've just been feeling self-conscious and really wanted to do something about it because I've been shedding a lot, losing some hair. And I started looking around for me and some friends because a lot of my friends, I think it's also our age and stuff like that. And we found Vegamore and I love it. Vegamore is transformative, 100% vegan, and takes a clean, holistic approach to hair health. It leverages smart botanicals clinically proven to promote visibly thicker, fuller, longer looking hair. We love this type of product, you guys. Vegamore's Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit and Grow Serum work together to create visibly thicker hair and improve hair from the roots. It's super easy to use. You just massage the shampoo into your scalp for 60 seconds and then follow up with conditioner. For prime results, follow up your wash routine with a daily dropper full of the serum, apply it to your scalp, rub it in, and done. It's literally just that fast and easy. Vegamore products are an essential part of my daily hair care routine. Obviously, I love using the Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit. And the Grow Plus Serum is really great. Me and my friend actually love it a lot because it's super easy and it's super fast. 
So it doesn't really like take up a big part of your daily routine. You don't feel like it's this kind of thing that's, oh my God, now I want my hair to be thicker and fuller and all that stuff. And I have to do this whole thing. It's just super, super easy. And it makes my hair feel great. I don't notice that it's like in my hair or I'm doing something crazy like that. And all Vegamore products are obviously 100% vegan and cruelty-free and never contain parabens or hormones. Vegamore has something for everyone looking to improve their hair health. They can help give you back healthy, beautiful looking hair without any harmful chemicals. Obviously, that's my favorite part. But best of all, Vegamore has a 90-day money-back guarantee. And even better, 91% of customers say they saw visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months of use. I've been using Vegamore and already love it, and I know you will too. So start your journey to longer, fuller hair. Go to vegamore.com slash mood and use code mood to save 20% off your first order. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mood, code mood to save 20% at vegamore.com slash mood. Okay, you guys, I'm so excited for you to hear all about Doug and his story. You are seriously going to be so inspired. This is the perfect current mood combo to kick off the new year, get your mindset right, and just literally feel so ready to be driven, ambitious, and your best self. So here is Doug. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because your story is one of the most insane like transformation stories that I've probably had on mood to date. And I want you to just kind of give my listeners like, and you don't have to like make it short and sweet. Like I want to talk about kind of, obviously we know who you are now, but let's start from the beginning. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And I'm excited to share with you, I guess, what it was like to be in jail. But I guess before I get into that, let me kind of take people back so yeah. people can understand, I guess, what led to that. And what's 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 crazy is I have this podcast called The Adversity Advantage, where I encourage people to use hard times, where I encourage people to use their misfortunes to become a better version of themselves and to use it to their advantage. But growing up, I used adversity to my complete disadvantage. And as I look back now, it was more or less me just mismanaging different pains, insecurities, trauma, fears in the most negative way possible. And those anxieties, uncertainties and fears for me were um, and insecurities where my parents got divorced when I was five, which was really rough on me, I think. And I think it was rough more. I mean, not just because um my parents like obviously didn't have a good relationship, but I was like the only kid in my friend group whose parents mm. weren't together. So I started to develop this what's wrong with me mentality very early on. I was the same friend growing up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah was- I was like, I want to be normal so bad. Right. Yeah. And then once that, once you start to get fixated on that mindset, then I think everything else doesn't go your way. It just kind of adds on to that. And so I got, picked on in school. I was told that I think I had down syndrome when I was a kid. And and that obviously played into the what's wrong with me mentality. And then the, the one of the big things for me too, was I loved sports. I loved playing sports. I loved watching sports. I loved collecting like sports cards, but I was as unathletic and uncoordinated as they came. Right. I, I didn't make like the varsity sports teams, like my friends, I wasn't like the starting star player. And and it really started to, to eat at me because I was like, why is it that my friends are good at sports? Like my friends and I were the same age or the same everything. Like, why are they making the teams and not me? And I had the same passion and drive for the sport that they did. So it started to really eat at me. And again, all these um, insecurities just started to stack. And 
I, I look to escape in the quickest way possible from that. And the, initially it was through food. As I look back, I would eat like cinnamon buns and breakfast meats a lot, like, you know, sausage, bacon, and then I would eat pasta a lot, fast food. And it was, it was really just a numb pain. Um, and then I would, I would eat like a little bit more than my friends did. Cause I was eating the same stuff that they did, but it was just a little bit more. And because of that, and I just think my, my genetics also, like I started to gain weight at a young age. So now I'm becoming a little pudgy and I'm wearing um, husky pants and I'm now like shopping for different clothes than my friends. And again, that like, what's wrong with me mentality became really, really, really bad. And what initially became the, the biggest um, way to cope with that and make me feel at peace with myself became the very thing that was the first thing that would lead me down this destructive path of addiction. And that was pot. Now, before I go on, I want to preface this because I know pot now is pretty legal. It's pretty, right. dis, pretty destigmatized and there's a lot of people that smoke it. But what I want people to pay attention to is why I was doing it. I was doing it not because I enjoyed the taste of pot. I was doing it because I wanted to numb pain. And when I took that first hit off a marijuana pipe, I felt this massive monkey come off my back. I felt like I could finally be comfortable with my own skin. And after, I didn't have to worry if I was ever going to have a girlfriend. I didn't have to worry what my family dynamic was going to look like. I didn't have to worry if I was going to graduate from high school. I didn't have to worry about anything. My worries were gone. I could be totally at peace and comfortable in that moment right then and there for the first time in my life. So what happens as a result of that? Well, you want to keep chasing that same feeling. So now I'm, I'm not only taking a hit, I'm taking multiple hits, and then now I'm starting to smoke it every day. And then I had to find a way to support this habit I had started to develop because the, the job where I was making close to the minimum wage just wasn't enough to, to support my daily pot habit. So I started to sell a little bit on the side. And on my 16th birthday, my mom busted me. Uh, oh, wow. was yeah, for selling a little bit of pot, I was waiting it out for a neighbor of mine at the time. And at that point, like there were some other things that had happened before that where there, it had created some severe tension in my relationship with her and I. And she kicked me out of her house that day. I was oh. shipped off to go live with my dad and changed schools in 24 hours completely. And I felt, I felt abandoned. I felt... Um, disrespected. I felt unloved. I felt all the things. I mean, as I look back, she was doing the best she could in that situation. But in that moment, that's what I felt. And they thought that, okay, like I'm making all these bad choices in this certain environment and in a certain living dynamic. We're just going to remove this school system from it. We're going to remove this friend group from it. We're going to put them in a different place uh, a half hour away, whatever it was. But really, it just gave me created more trauma, created more pain, more emotional, um, more emotional instability, like all these things, because now I have a really broken relationship with my mom. I have abandonment issues. Um, I'm now like completely frightened of what's going to come next because I could start to feel my life um, un unraveling in a, in a pretty bad way. And I changed schools, meet new people, but, but continue doing the same thing, which was getting high every day, doing what I needed to, to fit in, to get people to like me, people pleasing, like all the things, barely graduate high school because all of my friends and I did was we would ride around, smoke pot, skip class. So on a t based on my lack of attendance, I almost didn't qualify to graduate. Then as soon as I graduated high school, 
I now began to sell pot, not just to support my habit, but to make money. And I was picking up um, several pounds of pot a week and selling it now for a profit. And then what tends to happen is once you begin to sell drugs like that on a bigger scale, you meet people who are now um, experimenting with hard drugs. And so as a teenager, you know, not too long after I graduated high school, I'm getting introduced to things like cocaine. And I began developing a habit like that, which was perfect for me in one way at the time, because I was a kid, super low self-esteem, never had a girlfriend in high school, was overweight, was completely athletic. So I felt like crap about myself. So doing coke was like, boom, like you get this adrenaline rush and you feel super euphoric. Like I can do anything. The problem was my addictive nature caught up with me. And then I start to snort coke every day. I start to Mm. do uh, significant quality or quantities of it. And the issue then became that, that, you know, doing a lot of coke and a kid like me who had struggled with anxiety went about as well together is a kid trying to lose weight and eating chocolate chip cookies all day, every day. It just doesn't work. Right. Oh my God. It's like, yeah, it's probably like drinking like 1500 gallons of coffee when you're anxious. What were, did your parents, cause you said like, obviously your mom kicked you out of the house at that time. So once you were with your dad, did was your mom still kind of like checking in on you? Was your dad aware of what was going on? Like, was it easy to keep going down this path in a way of you were hiding it? My mom and I, when she kicked me out, we had this verbal exchange, which was mainly on my end of all these, this anger, this feelings of rejection, sadness, abandonment towards her. And I didn't see her for a while. As a matter of fact, I mean, I, I think, you know, we were, we ended up going to therapy together. It was that bad between us. And it created some significant insecurities in me because during that time, I was hurting. Like, I was so broken. And there was so much going on inside of me that I guess as I look back, maybe I didn't know how to communicate effectively. Because let's face it, when you're 16, 17 years old, like we're not being taught, like, how do you, how do you talk about your feelings or how do you communicate your emotions? Like we're not learning that stuff. And I don't even know if somebody like had asked me at that time, like to communicate effectively that I yeah. would have been ready to do that, you know? But yeah. so yeah, she wasn't really there initially when I felt like I needed her the most, but again, she was processing it in the way that yeah. she best knew how to. My dad, without getting into too much details, my dad and I, our relationship today is better than it was back then, but let's just say it wasn't the easiest relationship growing up. And um, it it was hard growing up in that house. And so because of that, that made me want to escape even Mm. more. It made me want to rebel even more. It made me want to numb the pain even more. And it was more that, and I think this is what people get wrong when they're trying to, navigate addiction with a loved one is they just look at the addiction in itself. They look at the drugs and, and focus on that. Like, Oh my God, like I can't believe like you're smoking pot or I can't believe you're doing this or that instead of like understanding why, like what's at the root of that? Like, why was I doing that? And would that have saved me? I have no idea. Hindsight's always 2020. I don't, I can't say it would or wouldn't have, but what I will say is that I think it maybe gives you a chance to build some sort of 
emotional connection that maybe isn't there versus the typical thing that happens is you start shaming that person or coming down on them and and coming at them with such aggressive, such aggressive force that it pushes the addict and the loved one further away, which is kind of what happened with me. Yeah. I think that uh, one of the biggest misconceptions, even just about addiction as a word is how you could be addicted to anything, not even just drugs and alcohol. And so when you see a loved one addicted to these things that are obviously, you know, looked at by society is so bad. But when you see someone that's maybe addicted to getting back together with their ex-boyfriend or addicted to like a certain just kind of lifestyle, like even, I don't know, plastic surgery, just something, there's always this why underneath it that you know, we just judge the surface level aspect and judge them for this kind of weird thing that they're doing too much of and not understanding what's going on underneath it that you feel that you need to do this. And I think that for me as well, I always thought certain things about myself. I thought I didn't have self-control. I thought whatever. And once I removed kind of the actual why, because I was forced to, I realized that all this other stuff went away because I didn't feel this insecurity and this like addiction towards this other harmful thing in my life. I know that's kind of a vague way of explaining it, but I just think it is really important. I I even, I do it. I think it's just a good thought starter. You know, I have a younger brother who is obsessed with fitness. I wouldn't say he's addicted to it, but as you know, someone that does a podcast about moods, I'm like, why are you doing this so much? Like, what what are you trying to gain? Like, just why? And even if it's a good reason and we have a good conversation, at least you asked, you know? And I think that goes for anyone in a toxic relationship or obsessed with something and you kind of just notice that your friend's doing it or maybe drinking so much in this situation when they weren't a few years ago. It's like, why are you doing what you're doing? And I just think it's incredible that you're spreading that message too for parents because, it is something that I hope with mental health being destigmatized a little bit, that addiction kind of goes hand in hand with that. And we can help more of our loved ones, no matter what we feel that they're addicted to. Yeah. And I, and I love how you kind of doubled down on the importance of discovering like the why behind something and really taking a look, because I think, you know, you hear a lot about different biohacks for health and this and that, but I think one of the ultimate biohacks quote unquote, that's overlooked for our health is self-awareness and awareness yeah. into a situation because I think in order to figure out where we're going or what we're doing, we have to find out where we're at. And sometimes mm-hmm. so many of us just are un- completely unaware that we're even doing a certain thing or that our habits are impacting our lives in such a negative way. And, and that's kind of what continued to happen for me with my addiction as it began to unravel even more. Like I didn't realize how, addicted I was to the lifestyle of, of doing drugs and selling mm-hmm. drugs. I didn't realize how addicted I was to being needed and wanted when my phone would blow up a million times when people would want to, would call me to either get high or buy drugs because there was this big void in my life that had been empty for so long of, because I didn't have a relationship or a girlfriend in high school. So I never like got that initial feeling of what it was like to be wanted or, or be needed by somebody else that that got filled when people would want to buy drugs for me because I felt like- Was it almost like your whole purpose at the time you felt like? Yeah, it was almost like a religion. It's kind of sad. Like you, that your, whole, your whole life revolves around who you're doing drugs with, what you're doing, what kind of music you're going to listen to, what are you going to eat afterwards? 
Um, like what, what specifically are you going to do like that night when you're high, like, where are you going to, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And I guess I didn't also realize how much of it was related to my environment because I think our environments Mm -hmm. can create this false sense of normalcy where I thought everything I was doing was somewhat normal. I wouldn't, I, I would say that I did a kind of in the back of my head know that like there were certain things or certain times where I was like, yeah, this is probably not right. <laughs> but, but everybody around me was doing the very thing. And then I couldn't hang out with people that were doing like less drugs than me because like then, then they weren't, they weren't cool enough for me, or maybe I didn't feel secure enough around them because now they're not doing the same amount of drugs as me. So I would be like, all right, what are they going to think of me for doing this drug? Yeah, you're like on a different level. Yeah, you like graduate drug classes. (laughs) Sad. Um, And then that progressed. And because I didn't decide to become more self-aware and then make the decision based on that to get out of that, um, out of that destructive path, I found Oxycontin. And that's what really crippled me and brought me to my knees because at the time I was snorting all this coke, I was selling pot, I was smoking a lot of weed and I was continuing to, to stack um, anxiety, insecurities, more pain because I was now at a place where I'm like, all right, like, what am I doing with my life? Like here I am. I had aspirations as a kid before I did drugs to do certain things when I grew up or, and I was always like a sweet kid. I was always a kid that I thought that could contribute to the world because I had a good heart. And here I am now snorting Coke and selling drugs. Like, what am I doing? And I started to get really bad panic attacks, which back in the mid 2000s or like right, you know, mid to late 2000, I forget when it was, it was like, like right after high. So it was, I guess 2006, 2007 was I started getting these bad panic attacks, which nobody like talked about then. I didn't even know what a yeah. panic attack was. Like I remember the first time I got a panic attack, I thought I was having a heart attack because I was significantly heavier than I am now, smoking cigarettes, doing drugs. My heart starts racing. I start getting these chest pains. I start like shaking, doing all, all the things. And plus, we had buried several of my friends at this point, either from you know drug-related deaths, drinking and driving, that I was like, well, maybe I am dying go to the mm-hmm. hospital in the emergency room. They strap me down to a bed. They put like all the uh, cords and like IVs in me and they're getting all my like vitals. And they're like, for as much stuff as you say you're on or you've done, your heart sounds surprisingly healthy. You're just having a panic attack. And so I would, I bought this book, like how to manage a panic attack. It was kind of funny. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I, cause I, I mean, I didn't know. Nobody knew. Yeah. Mental health wasn't talked about. But, it's not like you had an Instagram post with like right. tips on what to do. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't any there wasn't any influencers back then, I guess, right? But with that said, like all kidding aside, we I, I thought that it would be you know, you would think it would be a good idea for me at that point to say, All right, Doug, clearly like you're messing your life up. Things aren't going well. You're in the ER because you thought you were having a heart attack but you're having a panic attack because in reality, your mental health is so off right now and you're, you're falling apart in every which way. Maybe it's time to change your friends. Maybe it's time to change your habits, but no, I had to do whatever I could to stay in that addictive nature of that lifestyle. And so that's when I got offered a five milligram Percocet. When I got offered the five milligram Percocet, that same month, it came off my back when I started smoking pot, it came up, came off my back then. 
which is why I bring up, I brought up the point initially about when I started smoking pot, like it wasn't like I thought it would lead to these next steps. But when you're like me and so many others that are using it as a coping mechanism to manage pain, it has a really good shot of going there. If you continue going down that path and have the inability to manage your insecurities and mental health in the way like I did. So the five milligram Percocet turned into doing 10 milligrams every day, 20, 40, all the way up until I'm doing like three, 400 milligrams of Oxycontin every single day to support my habit. Half my left nostril was missing. At this point, I'm like 19, 20 years old. And I, I couldn't get out of bed without doing like 150, 160 milligrams of Oxy. And everything kind of came to a head on Cinco de Mayo of 2008. I was riding around with a few of my friends to go make a drug deal. And I had a busted headlight that I've been meaning to fix for quite some time. But like I said before, like when you're in the thick of addiction, like I was, all you, all you care about is like who you're doing it with, what you're doing, where, that sort of thing. So I, anything else didn't matter to me. And so a cop was sitting there running radar because Cinco de Mayo is like one of the biggest drinking nights of the year, unbeknownst to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I decided to flash, flash my high beams at the cop thinking that would hide the fact that I had the busted headlight. <laughs> but in reality, it gave him a reason to pull me over. So... He pulls me over. One thing leads to the next. He pulls me out of the car. He uh, finds that he had a, I had a half I had a half pound of pot in my trunk that he found. A couple thousand dollars in cash in the glove box, and I was arrested that night and taken to jail on felony drug charges. And I just remember as I was sitting in the back of that cop car in handcuffs, and my heart was in the pit of my stomach. I just started to ask myself, like, how did I get here? Like everything, like I said, came to a head, like, like all my bad choices, all the, my, the mismanagements of pain, all my insecurities, everything came together at that moment. All like my whole life kind of flashed before me and was like, how did the kid who just wanted to be loved? How did the kid who just wanted to be fit in? How did the kid who just wanted people to like him? Like, how did he get to where I am? I was then in the, in the back of this cop car. And, um, and it was a sad day for me because at that moment I thought my life was over, but it ended up becoming my biggest blessing. Mm. And that, so this is May of 2008, 20 years old, September of 2008, I, I go to court for my felony drug charges. So the felony drug charge was the possess or possession of marijuana with the intent to distribute. And I go to court, the judge convicts me, finds me guilty of the felony charge. Um, sentences me to, to five years in jail, suspends everything but 90 days, meaning if I messed up and violated probation, failed a drug test, that sort of thing, I could go back and potentially have to do the full five years. Five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. But he said, Doug, you're young. I'm going to give you a break. And I was like, break? After what you just told me, like, where's the, where's the break? Yeah. He's like, if you complete everything without messing up, no failed uh, drug tests, no misprobation appointments. You do your community service. You take care of your time in jail. You do all those things. I'll take the felony conviction off your record at the end of your of the wow. five years of probation. And at that time, I didn't think it was that big of a deal because I, I just had no hope in my life anyway. Like I didn't think I was going to live to see my my twenty fifth birthday. But um, regardless, regardless, I just said, "All right, cool deal." <laughs> and so, 
this is where the story gets interesting, though. So uh, he gives me a few weeks to kind of gather my belongings, say my goodbyes and that sort of thing. And I ended up reporting to jail a week after my 21st birthday, October 21st, 2008. And as you can imagine, I was incredibly scared, fearful, uncertain because I was like I was the guy that um, was unconfident had as low self-esteem as they came. So I was just so fearful of what was going to happen when I went to jail. And I cried because I didn't want to go in. And I cried when I left because I didn't want to leave, which is crazy. Yeah. And, and then on top of all these insecurities that I mentioned a few seconds ago about going into jail, I still had this horrific opiate detox to kick. So when I reported to jail, I detoxed cold turkey from Oxycontin for the first three weeks in there, which felt like the worst case of the flu, like uncontrollable vomiting, yeah. bowel movements, like hot and cold sweats, like all the things, right? But the worst part of it at that time was this feeling like I was trying to crawl out of my own skin, which now that I've become more like spiritual, like I look back and I see, I, I acknowledge it as the old me like leaving me so that the new me could become new and whole. Right. So I, as I'm getting through my detox, my, my soon to be cellmate sitting there at the Scrabble table, who looks like a more jacked version of uh, Brad Pitt from fight club. <laughs> and he was like, you're going to start working out with me when you get done your detox. And I was like, there's no way, dude, have you seen me? Like I could have been a model for Pillsbury at the time. <laughs> like, there's no way that was going to happen. And um, he just saw something in me. I think he saw this kid. I was very, you know, more soft-spoken, shoulders rounded forward. You could just tell I was scared as heck to be in there. And he just, he just knew I needed some, some help with my self-confidence. And obviously fitness can be a catalyst for that. And so I initially, I told him no and kind of denied him. And then uh, I saw him work out not too long after. And he's doing crazy amounts of pull-ups, push-ups, like running all over the place in the gym. And I was just like, who is this guy? He's still to this day one of the fittest people I've ever seen in my life. So we're in the cell and um, we're, he's getting to know me a bit more and we're just talking more about my story and like why I was in jail. And I just was blaming everybody for my problems. I was blaming my parents. I was blaming girls for rejecting me. I was blaming the fact that I got cut from sports and being bullied and stuff like that. And he looked at me and he was like, quit being a bitch. And I was just like, what? Like, cause when we're you know, you don't, where I come from in jail, you don't want to like, that's not something you yeah. want to call, right? And I was just like, well, what do you mean by that? He was like, you're, you're blaming everybody for your problems, but yourself. He was like, there's plenty of people that went through what you went through that aren't in jail. He's like, you chose to react and respond to the way in the way that you did. And that's why you're in jail. I'm like, huh. Like even, and even though in that moment, Lauren, like it wasn't what I wanted to hear. It was what I needed to hear. I started to feel more clear like thinking wise than i had in a while and i was like you know i think he's right like up until this point i clearly haven't figured out how to live life like i've had 21 jobs by the time i was 21 right i had broken different relations or damaged many relationships i was a drug addict i'm in jail like clearly i didn't know what i was doing and so he was like you have two choices you can be a man or you can be a bitch he was like you can be a man look yourself in the face in the mirror and say, you got yourself here and it's up to you to change and get yourself out of here where you can be a bitch, go cry in the corner, say, what was me? Be pessimistic, 
blame everybody else for your problems. He's like, most people will do that. And I felt empowered at that moment for like the first time in my life. And I decided that I was actually going to take him up on his offer and I was going to try and give this fitness thing a try because at that point, like I knew, I knew I wanted more for myself. Like I knew that, like I said, I was a sweet kid. I had a good heart and that if I just put my mind to it, I could somehow get out of this somehow in some way and be somebody who contributes positively to the world. I just didn't know how to do it. And this is what was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. But now as I look back, it was one of the biggest gateways to my transformation was I was always the guy that was so worried about what other people thought of me. Like I wasn't just concerned with how I behaved. It was like, what are other people going to say once I behave? And here I was now in front of a bunch of grown men in this common area of the jail and I'm exercising where most people in there really aren't exercising. And I get down to do a push up, and I collapse. And he, I was just like, man, like, why can't I do a push up?" He's like, cause you're fat. And I was just, I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, I don't know what else. He's like, I can't really sugarcoat this. Like, he's like, you're, you have excess body fat. He's like, your core is weak. And so you're collapsing. That's why you can't do a push up because you can't hold your, you can't hold yourself up. You don't have the, the strength and you're overweight. And I, I hated being called fat because I was called that a lot in school. And I just swore to myself, I'd never be called that again. And even like walking up and down the steps in there initially was incredibly hard for me because I was smoking like a pack, pack and half of cigarettes a day too. And then during that, or like right after that, he um, agreed to train me in there during my 90 day sentence. And we set some I goals. I mean, how so, insane is it that this guy you just happen to run into once you're sentenced is just so upfront and honest and almost like willing to be of service in a situation where you don't think that that's the story you're going to hear. Right. Like it's incredible. Yeah. And I think for the longest time, Lauren, I had this, I had this void in inside where I was just looking for somebody to care for me or looking for a sense of, for sense of family. And because of the brokenness in my, my own family dynamic, Growing up, like I, I didn't have that. And then I would seek that out from different friend groups or even parents of friends that would almost become like second mom or a second dad to me. And then when I got to jail, obviously I didn't have any of that. So when then I then I had him for, for no, I don't know what the reason was, you know, I guess other than his commitment to, to seeing something in me that he wanted to, to help transform my life. Like he had no skin in the game and was yeah. genuinely showing this this level of care for me and my own health that. I just clung on to that. And I was like, I'm not going to let this person down because he is somebody that I felt like at that time was just a complete godsend in my life. And there was times in there where, you know, I didn't want to work out or I didn't want to do the thing, but he kept me accountable and he didn't let me um, talk myself out of it. And that's what I needed in there because it gave me an opportunity to change how I dealt with my emotions, which was something that, I struggled with most of my life where if I was stressed, if I was anxious, if I was depressed, I would take no time to actually understand and develop the awareness like we were talking about earlier to to dig deep on why I was feeling a certain way and then try to figure out how to talk about it where I would just numb it instantly with drugs. And I was forced to embrace discomfort when I was in jail. Like there was nowhere to hide anymore. It was just me versus me. And fitness became 
the greatest tool while I was in there to help mitigate that. Where if I was stressed, we, we you know it would I would it would be helped when we worked out, um, or when I walked, or eventually started to jog in jail. And we set some goals, which I think was super important because it gave me something to look towards, especially in a place where my life was so broken at the time and I felt so hopeless. Like having these positive um, stepping stones to look towards or to move towards that would kind of move me closer to the path out were super helpful. Where we set a goal to do a set of 10 push ups and run a mile by the time my 90 day sentence was over. It, it, believe me, at the time, that seemed so insurmountable. <laughs> I believe like I was never going to achieve it because you're talking to the guy who couldn't even hold himself up to do a push up from his knees at the very beginning. And with his motivation and encouragement, I was able to do it. And this, this light bulb went off in my head that I was finally going to do the things I needed to, to, to change my life and to turn things around. Quick break to talk to you guys about Osea. You got through the hectic holiday season and you made it through 2021. Finally, you're probably burned out and feeling like you need a fresh start to focus on yourself again. You may have let your self-care practices slide during the busy past few months, like me. There's absolutely nothing better than taking those moments for yourself to take care of your face and body. And yourself is a worthy investment. Osea has been making products that are clean, vegan, and safe for your skin and the planet for over 25 years. I'm sure you guys have seen it because they are an iconic brand. When it comes to clean beauty, Osea is the pioneer. They have award-winning serums, moisturizers, and body treatments, and their body oil has been a celebrity favorite for years and obviously is a personal favorite of mine which kind of means more than the celebrity endorsement. You know, it's like a <laughs> not to shoot my own horn. I've just been super exhausted and super stressed. And I've definitely been seeing kind of the results of all the holiday sugar on my skin. And I'm ready to just kind of get back into my self-care. It's a top priority for me. And Osea is going to help me achieve my goals because I love their body oil. It just feels luxurious, rich. It's not greasy or sticky. It absorbs beautifully into the skin. I actually love even just like putting it on in bed, making it part of my nighttime ritual. I put it on right when I get out of the shower. If I decide to shower that night and it just makes my skin healthy and glowing and I just feel like so good. And, you know, then when like my boyfriend comes over to sleep over later, I'm like, yes, I'm a gorgeous queen. If you guys know, I'm a stickler about ingredients and their ingredients are absolutely amazing. They did also just launch a body butter, which I love. You guys just know I love body care and it's truly so nice and luxurious. It has that insane intoxicating scent as the body oil and it's just this butter rich texture and it transforms your dry winter skin because all I want is my skin to go back to being so soft and supple because being in Chicago over the winter did not help my cause. So it really leaves it soft, smooth, and healthy looking. I really think you guys are going to love all of Osea's products because the ingredients are amazing. And like I said, they're a pioneer. We trust in OG. We trust the award winners. And I've been a fan of Osea for so long. You guys, taking care of your face and body makes so much of a difference. Because those moments of self-care really make you proud and feel your best self. And now all you need to do is add Osea to your routine. All of their products are clean, vegan, cruelty-free, climate-neutral, created with sustainably sourced seaweed, and made in California so you can feel good about what you're putting on your skin. 
It's a new year with a new you. Start fresh and clean with vegan skincare and body care from our friends at Osea. Get 10% off your entire first order with promo code MOOD at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping. Now is the time to make small changes that can have a big impact on your day-to-day. Head to OseaMalibu.com to find your new routine and use code MOOD. Back to the podcast. And the day I left, I, I cried because I felt like my life had been completely transformed and changed inside of that um, jail cell. And then also for this like relentless pursuit from this guy to help me um, see something in me that, that I didn't see for, for quite some time. And I think that was really important because I think sometimes, Lauren, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but when you have your head so stuck in the mud face down you can't see anything it's just pure darkness Mm -hmm. that when you have somebody just come and like pull your head up a little just a little bit so you can see a little bit of light it gives you that glimmer of hope that you need to just keep stacking on or keep um adding on to you know yeah i think it's also so admirable too because you know i completely understand why you would be so upset to leave because it's just getting used to an environment and having something now that replaced all this negative stuff in your life and just almost, you know, getting, I'm someone who I love routines and schedule and stuff because it comforts that anxiety and it makes me feel secure. And so getting that taken away, I think it's just so admirable too, that you were able to leave the situation and obviously feel your feelings and be sad, but then also continue on this journey because it just shows how much this person and your rock bottom, like instilled so much in your life that although your life was about to change again, because now you had to go live in the real world and with broken relationships and this new routine and version of yourself that's never lived outside of a jail cell, it still wasn't enough to go back to your old habits. It was, you had, they had instilled so much in you that you were able to keep moving forward this way. And I think that it's really hard sometimes to be that person for yourself. And, you know, once someone does show you that glimmer of hope, you're still responsible for getting up and doing the work every single day. And I think that's why it's so easy to go back into a dark place because you don't realize how much work it takes, but you're the one that has to do it. And, you know, I mean, 90 days is in hindsight, not a long time. And now you have the rest of your life ahead of you. I'm that person that when I'm in the hole, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to come out and keep like, I'm only 27. I have to keep going for so long. Like it, you know, it gets very overwhelming. I think, you know, before we get to the next part of it, was there anything else that you were doing besides like fitness that was helping you kind of face yourself in that sense? Like, did you start doing things like recovery or um, like a faith-based anything, or was it really fitness that kind of then jump-started you on the rest of kind of dealing with your demons and figuring out yourself? I guess as I look back, fitness was definitely most of it, but there were certain other things that I did during that time that helped pave the way for when I got out. And one was like, I changed how I talked to myself mm. because for, for most of my life at that point, I, I'd be, been the person that had been, um, believing that the, the lies that other people had said to me about me being, you know, a piece of crap or me being ugly or me being this or that, that I, that was part of my hardwiring now 
because I think our perception of ourselves becomes hijacked based on what other people say. Like if, if everybody, if, if, if tons of people in your life have continued to tell you that you're this thing or that thing, and then your life is continually at the same time falling apart, like somehow you begin to validate that and that becomes like your sense of reality. So I had to work on that. And, and really it, just, it took time. It's like a muscle. Like I think you know, positive affirmations that they take time, they take consistency. Yeah. It's not a matter of you just saying, Oh, I believe in myself that you're doing all of a sudden believe in yourself. It's, it's like a muscle. It takes time. Yeah. So, so that became like a new habit and also like, um, perspective. I remember one of the things that for one of the first questions I asked my cellmate when we got started and didn't know working out was, I was like, how long is it going to take for me to get like a six pack? Or how long is it going to take for, for me to lose the weight? <laughs> You know, because we all, of course, want the instant gratification. He's like, how long have you been beating your body up, Doug? And I was like, 20-something years, 21 years. And he was like, could take a long time. I'm like, okay. And I, and I just adopted that mentality of like, I got to play the long game with everything. It's going to take mm-hmm. time. But I know that if I do the right things on a consistent basis, maybe it doesn't guarantee me results because I think you know, nothing's guaranteed in life. But it at least keeps me in the game and gives me a chance. So that helped. The I other, love that. The other thing that really helped me too was focusing on how far I'd come and how far I had to go because, and I said, this is like a tagline for a lot of my stuff, but I mean that because I've experienced it. Like there was times when I was in jail that like many, I looked at like how much I hadn't accomplished or I looked at the weight I hadn't lost or I just would look at my life ahead and say, how am I going to achieve this? How am I ever going to get through like this part? instead of looking at what I had achieved in that, in that time or how far I had come in my health journey or the weight that I had lost. Because if you think about it, if your thoughts and your mindset and everything else is, is wrapped up in everything you don't have in life and, have, and everything you haven't achieved, where you're going to be a pretty sad person. Yeah. But it's when you're in it, when you're in a dark, a darkish spot, like I was kind of when I was coming out of jail I had to lean in on the positive things that I had achieved in my life. And I had to remain optimistic that if I continue to do those things on a regular basis, it at least gave me some hope because 90% of me thought I was going to fail. I mean, how, if you were, if I were being honest, like, well, I, it's not like I was a hundred percent confident that I was going to just completely transform my, my life. I mean, I, I was in the sense that I had this, I finally had this feeling in my head that I was going to change but it wasn't like I was dead set on that to the point where the negative thoughts didn't come up because sure they did. And because up until that point, I was a complete failure in my eyes for a lot of things. And, but with, with all that said, like the odds were so stacked against me because I was a convicted felon. You know, I I had been addicted to drugs up for, um, you know, for years up until the point of my incarceration my track record with my family wasn't good. My career stuff with um, all the jobs I had wasn't good either. And so if I hadn't leaned in and focused on just that, like I wouldn't have made it as far as I did. But I knew if I could focus in on the part of me that felt that I was going to change, that believed I was and had that glimmer of hope. And I just went all in on that. It gave me that chance to know that, okay, I can do this when I got out. And that was like a big big um game changer for me after i got released it's almost a good kind of thought reframer too when you catch yourself thinking about the future i call it future tripping 
just kind of being in that dark spot just to even reframe and just replace it. Be like, okay, stop. You're doing it. Replace it with two things that have already happened that you're proud of yourself for, because it just, even if you haven't been called something your whole life, that obviously is so hard, but it's just also our brains love negativity naturally. And it's not good for us, but it's so much easier than being positive. And so I love kind of how you could have easily focused on so many of the ways you fucked up, but instead you focused on the smaller percentage of hope and leaned into that because I mean, hello, look at you now. Like it clearly, it just shows like you're literally proof that it works and it's worth it. And it's just an incredible testament to changing the way your mind and body work together. Yeah. And I think you have to find what drives you too when you're in those situations. Cause I know like one of the things that was big for me too, was like proving people wrong. Like I was mad at the fact that girls rejected me or that people didn't believe in me or, that I hadn't mad at myself, obviously, for what I had done to myself and where I was at in my life. But the way that I responded to that anger before was in like lashing out, doing drugs, blaming people for my problems, where now it changed where I was now taking responsibility and going to say, okay, like, you don't think I'm attractive, like watch me become attractive, or you don't think I'm going to stay off of, you know, smoking pot or snorting pills or coke, like watch me do that. Like, you don't think I'm going to change like, like watch me do that. And so like when I would run, when I got out of jail, that's what I would think about. I would think about all the people that pissed me off. I would think about all the people. I really would. It was, and maybe that was my way. And that was my way of like, of processing stuff. As I look back, was, was that was like being able to think about it and then talk myself through it. But, and then also getting a good endorphin rush along the way. I actually like that too, because you're just not buying into the bullshit and it's so easy to, I'm someone that it's so easy for me to be like, Oh my gosh, that's your opinion of me. What is wrong with me? And still to this day. And I know that's what you said was kind of your issue in the beginning of your story, but you know, with the little things, just even as an adult, it's so easy to buy into it. And I'm going to use that as like a way to try to reframe my thoughts again is okay, watch me and let me prove you wrong. I really do love that because I think it can, you know, develop confidence within yourself once you actually do prove them wrong, because we're all capable of proving anything wrong that we want. We just have to actually want it, which is why I think it's so impressive when, you know, you're the one that holds yourself accountable when you don't have that anymore from the people that were mentoring you inside. So what kind of then, you know, you don't have this mentor inside anymore and you're outside. I mean, what has the past like over decade then looked like for you from that kind of transformational 90 days, pretty much. From like a mentorship perspective, I think the one thing that it allowed me to do was realize the importance of having a mentor and knowing that I'm not going to always have life figured it out, figured out. And it's, crucial to have people in my life that challenge me. That's kind of what that taught me. But the day I got out, I cried because I didn't want to leave. And then he gave me a workout plan and I still have it framed in my place. So I never forget where I came from. And I was just like, well, how can I ever repay you for like the 
for what he had done for me when I was in jail. And he just said, pay it forward. Don't mess up. And so when I got out, I, I really leaned in on like the, the ability to prove people wrong. Like, like I was saying a few minutes ago, and then also like not letting him down because I, I felt this, this, this person who had no skin in the game as far as my life, like take such interest in helping me change that I didn't want to let him down. Like I, I had developed this, I mean, this irreplaceable level of self-respect and gratitude towards that, that I felt I owed him to do that. And plus I had this confidence now that I never had because you're talking to the guy who never thought he could do a push-up. You're never, you're talking to the guy that never thought he could run a mile or whatever. So now I had this new level of self-esteem. It's like, wow, I didn't think I could do that. Like now I can do, now I believe I can actually do these other things that I never thought I could do, which was, you know, stop using drugs, you know, change the way that I took care of myself outside of jail, finally start to um, invest in myself in a way that was going to allow me to now be a positive contributor to the world. And I stayed on the plan that he gave me um, and then lost a bunch of weight and ended up getting to a place fitness wise. I ended up losing 50 pounds. I got to a place fitness wise where I wanted to help other people use fitness to change their lives. And that's why I became a personal trainer back in 2011 was really to help uh, pay it forward and, and pass on the torch and show people the power of fitness and how it can be such a positive tool to help transform them mentally, emotionally, and of course, physically. And I mean, time flew by as a trainer. I was very blessed to build a successful training business. And um, in January of 2014, um, we went back to court for modification of my sentence because I completed all the stipulations that the judge gave me. And he took the felony conviction off my record. And I never realized how much, you know, somebody's life can change from being, you know, essentially shackled as a convicted felon and not being able to do certain things to now being a free man. And that inspired me to write my first book, From Felony to Fitness to Free, to, to show people that you can make the most of um, your second chance, turn negative into a positive. And, and really, like, like I said before, like the importance of focusing on how far you've come and not how far you have to go. And then I think even more important than that, that that life's about choices. Like I, I made certain choices in my younger years in response to my circumstances that led me down the path that it took me. And just like after I got out of jail, I made certain decisions and choices that led me down this path that I'm on now. And I've been on an absolute tear ever since to to share my story, to give other people hope and have been blessed to, you know, share it on some pretty amazing podcasts, media outlets, you know, I've written a couple other books along the way. Now I have my own podcast called, called the adversity advantage. And as I, as I look back like, and what's really been crucial in that it's come down to really like faith, family, and fitness. So for me, like faith in God, faith in myself, faith that, you know, if I continue to do the right things on a day-to-day -day basis, that, that life will get better, even though it might not seem like that. I just know that I got to keep moving forward. Family, like family to me doesn't have to be blood. It's who you spend time with, who you surround yourself with. Like, like for me, it's always spending time with people that love, challenge, and support me unconditionally. Like, again, I talked about 
the importance of having a mentor. Like I want people to challenge me in my life. I want people to tell me when I'm not doing a good job. I want people to support me when I'm chasing after something scary. I want people to, to help lift me up when I'm just not doing well. Right. Um, and how did you find those people? What would you say for people that need that in their lives right now? What, and it's, you know, like what was kind of your way into, for lack of a better term, networking just, or better term, maybe connecting with like-minded people. Um, I got, I got lucky in the sense that I'm, I'm a trainer. So in the fitness space and when you go to the gym, typically the people there are looking to better themselves. They're all the most, most everybody who's in the gym is looking to change their life in some way. So being able to meet people and get connected to people in that atmosphere, like was very helpful for me. Uh, but I would say to somebody who maybe isn't as, um, who isn't like in that um, area of profession, like think about the types of people that you want to spend time with. Like who is it that you want in your life and where would they be hanging out at? Right. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say almost like look at your environment because it's really, you know, is was from that environment that you were in. And if you feel like, oh, I'm not finding those people, I think maybe almost the first step would be to look at where you already, well, actually it kind of is what you said earlier. Look at where you already are. If you want to figure out where you're right. going. Right. And, and, and also not being afraid to walk away from, from old friends and just mm. knowing that sometimes like people have a choice in whether they want to grow with you or not. And surrounding mm. yourself with people who have common futures and not common past, I think is really important. I mean, I, I continue to hang around my, my same friends for, for a little while, like after I got out of jail and I, wasn't like you know doing drugs or anything with them but i still like just needed that sense of community and just was like just needed to do that but i was of course changing my life at the same time and getting more into health and fitness and more interested in you know <laughs> different health recipes or how to do a better squat or whatever that it became awkward around my friends like it was almost like an awkward mm. first date where you just have nothing to talk about and it just feels like weird. Like that's how it felt. And I had to make a tough decision that like, that was I going to continue to spend time with, with people that I didn't feel aligned with or was I going to take some time and do the one thing that I was scared of for most of my life and that was being alone and sitting with myself and um doing a lot of self-discovery work so i was living with my grandparents at the time because I, I they took me in after i got out of jail and i would spend weekends with them like watching the food network and stuff like that and really getting clear on the types of people i wanted in my life and then from that like the more i started to grow personally i started to meet people along the path that were aligned with that and sought out different mentors along the way and then just continue to be really cool or really clear about boundaries as far as the types of people that I would want in my life. And it, it didn't become about quantity anymore. Like it had been back in the day. It was more about quality. Mm -hmm. Like I always wanted to be liked by everybody, everybody like needed to like me. I needed, I needed to know everybody and be acquaintances with everybody, but I didn't care about having a deep relationship with anybody where now, and you know, over the, the last decade or so it's been more about i want to have like deep meaningful connections with people i care about and and i think people if they're listening to this like 
I always like it goes back to self-awareness and figuring out like how can what what are some tools in your life or in, in my life that you can use to become more self-aware about your situation? And so maybe make a list of like the five people that you spend the most time with right now. Like, are they adding value? Are they helping you? How do you mm-hmm. feel when you're around them? And that's kind of like what I would do now and then say, OK, like if this you can look at it, and say, oh, OK, like I didn't realize this person really isn't doing much for me. I didn't realize when I'm around this person, I just leave like completely drained because they're so negative all the time. Well, I didn't realize how much this person picks on me. And then again, once you become aware of that, then you can say, okay, I don't want to stand for this anymore. Where can I find more people that are aligned with me? So if I were speaking to somebody, for instance, who's more health conscious now, who wants to be on a path of health and wellness, I'd be like, all right, like maybe I'm going to go join a yoga studio. Maybe I'm going to join a gym or I'm going to go join a small group training class or I'm going to go for hikes at a park or I'm going to start, you know, going to different, you know, networking events online or or whatever. I mean, and then you can start to to meet different people. But there's a lot of people that they, they think it's it's scary and uncomfortable and hard to do that. But there's choice when it comes to hard as well, right? Like it's really, 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 really hard and uncomfortable sometimes to put yourself in a vulnerable state and meet new people. But you know what is also super, super hard is staying with the same friend group and people that bring you down and that you don't feel aligned with for the rest of your life. Do you think that there's other things that you should look at if you're someone that does feel, I don't know, is like resonating with this and inspired to kind of change different aspects of their life and, you know, be able to look back and think, wow, I'm so glad I started all these new things and met all these new people. Are there any other kind of habits or just things in general that similar to people in your life you think that is important for um, someone to look at and see those consistencies and decide if they're benefiting them or not? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think looking at different habits, that we have throughout the day can be super beneficial. I mean, I, I mentioned faith and family being the two, two of the important things. And the third thing has been fitness for me. Um, obviously mm-hmm. not just with my own story and what I do is professionally, but fitness has been something that is, is kept giving me, you know, obviously structured discipline has been a great coping mechanism for, for stress, anxiety, and, and also to just have me continuing to work towards something. So I think, having some sort of movement every single day is something you want to look at, like how much are you moving your body on a regular basis? Um, something else for me that was a big game changer was therapy. That was something that, that really was a mm-hmm. pivotal thing for my emotional and mental fitness was realizing that I didn't have it all again, figure it out and starting to unpack a lot of stuff from my childhood and starting to um, unlearn certain patterns and understand these patterns and how I could begin to implement new ones in my life. So that was one too. Like, I mean, if, if you're going through the day and you're realizing like that you're, you know, irritable quite often, or you're finding yourself more unstable than normal or whatever, like trying to, again, become aware of that. This is why I go back to awareness because unless you're aware of it, you're not going to be able to change it. And then figuring out like what to do from that. Um, Gratitude has been something that's been important too, because, you know, uh, again, like, I'm human. And I think just like with all of us at times, like I don't have it all figured out. I don't have everything in my life that I want. So being able to lean in on the things that I do have has been really important. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just changes your perspective. I think 
being of service, helping other people has been something on a daily being consistent with can be something that's, that's crucially important, especially when you're going through hard times. And then I think one of the things too, that, that gets kind of overlooked is, is self-compassion and just, just knowing that it's okay to not have everything, have everything like going for you at that time. Sometimes you're not going to feel good. Sometimes you're not going to feel like working out. Sometimes you're, you're going to feel like that you just are, are not getting anywhere. That's normal. We all feel like that. But I think the important thing to remember is like, well, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that information? Are you going to look within a bit more and say like, what is it about me or my mindset that's leading me to think like this? Or how can I use this situation to my advantage? Or maybe I just need to rest today. Maybe I just need to chill. Um, so I think self-compassion is important. And then like a little bonus one that I'll throw out that I think is, is extremely important is obviously nutrition is important as a trainer. I tell people how important it is to kind of watch what you eat. But just remember that nutrition isn't just what you eat. It's what you listen to. It's what you read. It's what you watch. Right. So just it's what you scroll. You're taking that in. So just just be mindful of all of that, because I found myself on the days that maybe I'm a more a bit more drained or I can feel myself be more irritable. And maybe I'm spending too much time on social media. Maybe I'm not listening to podcasts as much. Maybe I'm just not focused on on something that can bring the best out of me when, when it comes to what I'm reading or listening to. So just make, be, be, be mindful of that. Yeah, it really comes down to, you know, from what I'm hearing is just becoming more aware within yourself and surroundings, people, environment, just really tapping into that mindfulness and self-awareness can really take you to the next level of becoming that better version of yourself, just getting really clear on where you are, I think is really important. I think is sometimes the scariest thing because then it means you have to like actually kind of similar to what your first mentor said is like, look yourself in the mirror and like, see what's going on. And it's pretty terrifying at first when you're been avoiding all this shit for so long, but it's really the only way to move forward and develop these new healthy habits is figuring out what habits you are already in existence within your life right now. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's powerful, but scary stuff. It's hard. You know, it really is. And, and sometimes though, the, the scariest thing in our life can be the biggest blessing. You know, we look in the mirror sometimes and we yeah. become aware of some sort some certain pitfalls we might have in, in our behaviors or how we're acting on a day-to-day basis. And that can be the very thing that ends up becoming this game changer to impact us professionally, personally, spiritually, or whatever. And and also like it's, it's you know it's it's one thing to become self-aware. And I think that's really important, but then you don't want to be that person that continues to just learn and research, learn, research, and then don't take any action. So you become so self-aware that it's almost like, mm. like you, you start to overanalyze everything. And then you end up not really moving forward yes. because you just stay stuck in that phase of continuing to become more aware and becoming, that's almost like an addiction too. And, and I've done that where, you know, sometimes you, you, I found myself becoming so aware of certain things that I, I continued to push towards that and like, figuring out like, well, what's this mean? What's that mean? What's that mean? That it, it takes time away from my ability to take steps into getting out of the very thing that I've become aware of. 
that's step right. two. And you have to go to step two and not just stay at step one because I'm the exact same way where I just become aware of things. And instead of taking action, I will ruminate on them for a very long time. But it's the action is the most important part afterwards, obviously. And so what does kind of like your life look like now? I mean, after, you know, adversity is an advantage, you've proved that and kind of how does that show up in your life every day? So now life's different than it has been, I guess, over the last few years. I mean, initially when I became a trainer, that was my main focus was full-time training, taking on as many sessions every single day as I possibly could and building that out. And then like I hit a point where I didn't just want to be a trainer like the rest of my life because I knew that like God had purpose in the pain of, of me in the jail cell. And there, it was like, it was no coincidence that I was saved by fitness when I was incarcerated. And now I'm helping other people use fitness to save their lives. So I was just like, man, I felt like I was kept alive for, for a bigger reason. And so I began to, to share my story more. I began to get more involved in like the personal development world, not just in fitness, started to speak more, started to figure out like, okay, like how can I get involved on a bigger scale to not only just not only impact like my community of people here in, in the Baltimore area, but also on like a more national scale. And that became like the initial motivation to start sharing my story more publicly on a, like a more mainstream way. So then now having my podcast called the, the adversity advantage where, you know, I interview people from, from all walks of life. So not only how they turn their trials into triumphs, but like specifically we get into like the action steps they took on how to do that. And then we also bring on, I also bring on subject matter experts from all different fields of, you know, mental health, neuroscience, wellness, um, adversity, that sort of thing. We talk about like the actual subjects of different types of adversity and, what I want to remind people of is I think a lot of people think that once you get off drugs or once you, you know, transform your life or have any kind of massive um, experience where you're turning this negative thing into a positive that you think you don't experience hardship and hardships always going to be there. It's just how, how do you navigate it? Like, how do you see it? Do you see it as a way to bring you down or do you see it as an opportunity to learn and grow? And hardship still comes my way. I still feel stressed. I still get anxious. I still get depressed. There's still times where I don't feel like doing it, doing the thing or whatever. But how I respond is tremendously different compared to my younger years. So that's why I emphasize the importance of habits and discipline and being consistent. Because, you know, now if I'm stressed, obviously I have healthy coping strategies for that. And... I also have been really focused on healing over the past couple of years and just doing whatever I can to not healing like that. I was, I was broken, so to speak, but I think you, you, like I said, you always have to be in this phase, so to speak of continuing to, to, to self-discover yourself with figuring out like, what are some action steps uh, coupled with that to improve the way you are as a person. So I'm continuing to, to navigate that and be like, all right, like what are certain parts of my, my childhood that maybe I still need to heal? And what are some action steps I can take to bridge that gap? Or, you know, where is this, this fear of not being enough coming from? Why is it popping up again? And what can I do to help mitigate that? And 
those are types of adversities that in, in some ways can, can really bring people down because then it gets people in a depressed state or gets them hyper stressed. And then as a result, they don't want to do the work or they don't want to figure out like, okay, where's this coming from? How can I change the, the narrative? How can I reframe this? And how can I take action to shift this narrative? Like th that doesn't happen. And instead it's like, how can I numb this pain? How can I just forget these feelings as fast as possible? Then that becomes a habit. And then that becomes your new normal. And then anytime you're faced with adversity or stress, like that's, that's your go-to. And it ends up in turn becoming a very destructive pattern for so many people. So I'm just trying to do my best to, to stay the course in the self-discovery coupled with how can I use this to take the right action to become a better version of myself. That's incredible. I love it. I mean, your story is constantly, obviously evolving and growing still, but to this day already so, so beyond inspiring. And I'm just so glad you could come on and share it with everyone. And I know you're not going to stop sharing so much more amazing, just advice and stories and people. So where can everyone kind of keep following along and getting all these just amazing nuggets of things that I need to do for self-care, especially? Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been an awesome conversation. And you know, you should be so proud of yourself for all, for all the hard work and everything that you've accomplished in your life as well. Um, oh, as, yeah, and as you. far as like where to follow me, I mean, the best place to follow me, I guess, is I'm most active on Instagram at Doug Bobst. And then my website is DougBobst.com and it's got links to my books or if you want to dive more into my story or other interviews I've done, you can find that there. And then my podcast is called The Adversity Advantage. I mean, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts or on YouTube. So feel free to check it out if that's something that, if that's something that interests you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lauren. This has been awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Mood with Lauren Elizabeth. I hope your new year is getting started off on the right foot, especially after that amazing combo with Doug. Make sure you can actually rate and subscribe to the podcast now in Spotify. And of course, as always, Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. It means so much to me and you supporting our sponsors supports our show and allows us to have these amazing current mood combos, you guys. If you want more mood boosters throughout the week, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Mood with Lauren Elizabeth. And if you're curious what I'm up to being a hot mess, you know, you can follow at Lauren Elizabeth as well. Feel free to join our community of like-minded women bettering themselves, sharing book recommendations, shopping, mood boosters, and so much more in the Geneva group, which is linked in the show notes as always. And check out the merch at shoplornelizabeth.com. I will talk to you guys next week. I hope you have the best.